You found your way to the intersection of faith and the culture. This is Wall Builders Live, where we take on the hot topics of the day from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. You can learn more about us at our website, wallbuilderslive.com. That's the place to make a one-time or monthly contribution. And also, you can dive into the archives there if you've missed some programs recently, specifically if you missed any programs this week. So today is the third part in a three-part series. And that series is actually David Barton speaking live at one of our American Restoration Tour events that we're doing in conjunction with Faith Wins. And so if you missed yesterday or the day before, never fear, go to wallbuilderslive.com right now and you can get them in the archives and listen to all three parts to this series. If you did tune in yesterday and the day before, then we're about to pick up right where we left off yesterday. Here's David Barton. This is a man named Matthew Mari. Matthew Mari was born in 1801. He said he was at home sick one day in bed and he asked his family to read the Bible out loud to them. And they did. And they read from Psalm 8. And part of Psalm 8 says this. It says, Lord, thou madest man to have dominion over the works of thy hand. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field and the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea and whatever passes through the paths of the sea. And he wrote, he says, if God said there are paths in the sea, then there are paths in the sea. And I'm going to find the paths in the sea. That's where the charts came from. But that wasn't all he discovered. Another Bible verse very significant to him was Ecclesiastes 1.6. Ecclesiastes 1.6 says, The wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. The wind has a circuit? Yeah. Figured out that, you know, the wind goes one way in one hemisphere, goes the opposite way in the other hemisphere. And he figured out the circuit of the winds to the point where he became known as the father of naval meteorology. For the first time, weather prediction no satellites? Again, Bible verses. It's significant. He is a major significant scientific name in American history. Nobody knows about him today, but we built plenty of statues to him. And the strange thing about the statues is every statue has the Bible right beside his feet. You see the Bible right beside his feet, every statue. This was the source of his scientific ideas. And by the way, I can take you through lots of other scientists, including Harvey, who discovered the circulation of blood, and there are little valves in our veins and arteries that keep it going one day, not the other. He quoted Leviticus on why he found that and how, how that God had created those little valves in, in the vessels. So, I mean, it's amazing how much scientific information came out of the Bible back at a time when we didn't have technology. So that's one guy. Let me introduce you to a guy named James Kent. James Kent is the father of American jurisprudence. He's one of the two guys who created judicial system in America. And we had in America from the start what we call circuits, judicial circuits, circuit courts. For example, you guys in Illinois, you're in the Seventh Circuit. Amy Comey Barrett is the Supreme Court justice over your circuit. And so everybody's in a circuit, and we got circuit justices, and there's state circuit judges, and there's state courts, and we have all these appeal levels. Well, it's interesting, why do we have circuit courts, and why did we do that? And by the way, originally, when the circuit courts were created back at the beginning, each U.S. Supreme Court justice had a circuit and would get on his horse and would ride the circuit, go to Boston, go to Philadelphia, and go to New York. Whatever their circuit was, they got on their horse and rode. You didn't all go to D.C. You went out to the... Why did we do that? James Kent explained why out of 1 Samuel 7, verses 15 and 16, the Bible says, and Samuel judged Israel and rode the circuit from Gilgal to Mitzvah, all the towns he went through. Samuel's got a circuit. He writes, 
That's good enough for us. If it works for Samuel, we're gonna do that in America. So that's where we get the circuit court system. And then you've got people like Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin started the first hospital in America. It started in 1751, the Philadelphia Hospital. Why did he start the first healthcare system in America? He says it's because of Luke 10.35. And when he created the logo for the Philadelphia Hospital, Luke 10.35, he put on that logo. This is the source of the healthcare system we had in America. See, there's so many things that come from the Bible that we don't even recognize today. That's why President Roosevelt said, in the formative days of the Republic, the directing influence the Bible exercised on the fathers of the nation is conspicuously evident. Perhaps you can show me a textbook today where it's conspicuously evident. We don't, and this is even in Christian schools because a lot of Christian school textbook writers were trained by very secular people and they haven't seen the original documents or even gone back to the, the Bible was the basis so much that went on and, and President Roosevelt continued. He said, we cannot read the history of our rise and development as a nation without reckoning with the place the Bible's occupied in shaping the advances to the Republic. So this was a really big deal to these guys. And when you look at where we are now, statistically, only one out of nine, or only 9%, rather, only 9%, one out of 11 Christians reads the Bible. 72% of Americans profess to be Christian, and only one out of 11, or 9%, read the Bible on a daily basis. So I'm challenging you. Uh, hopefully, you're not like the rest of the nation, but read the Bible every day. Try to get into God's Word every day, and try to memorize something every week. You can get something... Hide his word in your hearts, what he saw, says in Psalms 119. You see how common it was up here. So it's important to do that, and only 6% of Americans right now have a biblical worldview. That means only 1 in 16 Americans. If I say, what does the Bible say about minimum wage, only 1 in 16 is going to point to Matthew 20, 15 as the, as the answer for minimum wage. If I say, what does the Bible say about capital gains tax, only 1 in 16 is going to point to Luke 19 and Matthew 25 and the teachings that are there about capital gains most of us don't know how to apply the Bible to every aspect of life or to due process or to why we get to compel witnesses on our behalf or why we get to confront our accuser. The Bible is the base of that. And again, there's so much secular evidence for that. So John Quincy Adams, I talked about him earlier. I'm going to use him again. John Quincy Adams, President of the United States, he wrote a book for 10-year-old Americans showing 10-year-old Americans how to read the Bible from cover to cover once every year. Now, Imagine a president today doing something like that. What kind of a firestorm would that start? But he did. We've reprinted that book. It's available as an e-book, and it's great advice for adults as well as for kids. And this is what he told the kids back then. He says, no book in the world deserves to be so unceasingly studied and so profoundly meditated on as the Bible. He says, I have myself for many years made it a practice to read through the Bible once every year. And that was American practice, even before the Supreme Court took the Bible out of schools, in schools we went through the Bible every year. I mean, we, we'd read the Bible. If, this is not, if, you're, if it is not your practice to read through the Bible cover to cover once every year, let me challenge you to start that. Make a commitment tonight that when I come back a year from now, I will have read the Bible cover to cover. This is what we all did in America for so long, and now it's kind of foreign and doesn't happen very often. He continued to the kids. He says, I've always endeavored to read it with the same spirit, which I now recommend to you. Kids, listen up. I want to encourage you to read it the same way I read it. He says, I always read it with the intention and desire that it may contribute to my advance in wisdom and virtue. He said, when I read the Bible, I'm not looking to get blessed. I'm look, not looking for spiritual edification per se. He said, I'm looking for something that will change the way I think, my wisdom, something that will change the way I act, my virtue. I'm always looking for application. And that's the way they looked at it. Matter of fact, he kept a diary for 68 years. In his diary, 
He has notes all over everything about what the Lord shows him in the Bible. And one of the things he said, he says, my practice, that when I read through the Bible every year, and he lived to be 79 years old, and he started this back when he was seven or eight years old. So, you know, he's done this 70-some-odd times. He says, every year I go through, I always find a topic and say, I'm going to look at that topic. So one year, as he read through, he said, I'm going to see whatever the Bible says about banking and finance. One year as I go through, I'm going to see what the Bible says about criminal justice and due process. He would just always pick a topic a year and say, I'm just going to, I've got concordances, but I just want to see for myself what the Bible says on these. And that he would take notes that year as he went through it. So this was very common for us to do. And again, he's talking to eight to 10 year olds. So that's, you know, he's talking to 10 year olds that he wrote the book. So maybe that's the third or fourth grade, maybe. Let me show you even what happened younger. All right, folks, stay with us one moment. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Wobblers Live. Hey, this is Tim Barton with Wall Builders. And as you've had the opportunity to listen to Wall Builders Live, you've probably heard the wealth of information about our nation, about our spiritual heritage, about the religious liberties, about all the things that makes America exceptional. And you might be thinking, as incredible as this information is, I wish there was a way that I could get one of the Wall Builders guys to come to my area and share with my group, whether it be a church, whether it be a Christian school or public school or some political event or activity, If you're interested in having a wall builder speaker come to your area, you can get on our website at www.wallbuilders.com and there's a tab for scheduling. And if you'll click on that tab, you'll notice there's a list of information from speakers' bios to events that are already going on. And there's a section where you can request an event to bring this information about who we are, where we came from, our religious liberties and freedoms. Go to the wall builders website and bring a speaker to your area. Welcome back to Wobblers Live. Let's jump right back in with David Barton speaking on the American Restoration Tour. Here's David. Every state has government records on its education system. So, for example, you guys, 1809, you become a territory. You can go back and see the territorial educational records starting in 1809. It'll be an annual report that comes out. Become a state, 1818, great. You can start seeing the state reports that come out. And it's interesting to go back in those early records and see what was being taught in the schools. For example, let me take you to some early schools. I want to take you to New Jersey. And in this case, there's so many, but I'm just going to choose 1816 New Jersey. They're going to show you what happens with first and second graders in New Jersey. Here's what they say. It says, all the scholars of the first and second classes commit to memory portions of the New Testament or Psalms, a lesson of the catechism, several hymns, and the text of the preceding Sabbath. Everybody in public school in New Jersey, if you're in first and second grade, this is what you're going to memorize. And by the way, what are the texts of the preceding Sabbath? That means whatever Pastor Tim talked about on Sunday, we're going to memorize those Bible verses. So whatever verses he referenced, we're going to memorize those during the public schools doing this. Yes, absolutely. This is what public schools did. And they had some kids, as we all know, some kids are sharper than other kids. And they talked about one of the kids that was really sharp. Uh, They said, one of the scholars is committed to memory the book of John and the first 30 psalms together with the 119th psalm. First and second grade, memorized the Gospel of John, 30 psalms and Psalm 119. He was really sharp. The rest of the kids weren't quite so sharp. Here's what it said about the rest of them. The majority have committed to memory the Gospel of John. The average kid has memorized the Gospel of John. Everybody does that in first and second grade. But we got one kid that added 30 chapters out of psalms and Psalm 119. Really? Common first and second grade is everybody memorizes the Gospel of John. 
Maybe one in a thousand Christians a day has memorized the Gospel of John, and that was first and second grade stuff back then. You may remember years ago, Jeff Foxworthy had a program called Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Maybe we start one, Are You Smarter Than a Second Grader? And we'll, we'll put Bible knowledge. This is the kind of stuff that went on all the time, which is why you find the Bibles. That's why when Ben Franklin gave his speech at the convention, he didn't have to identify the verses. We've been raised with this. This, this is what we learn in school. This is the way we had it. So... You look at where we are today, and by the way, with vaccinations, please don't think of COVID. We're so tired of COVID. Forget COVID. Think about a traditional vaccination, maybe smallpox or measles. What do we do with vaccinations? How does it work? Well, a vaccination gives you just enough of something to develop an immunity to it. I would argue that the Christian community in America today, we've had just enough Bible and Christianity, we've become kind of immune to it. We're not really serious about it, but we are professing Christians but if it really came to having to quote Bible like these guys did, first and second grade, we're kind of immune to that. And I'm going to encourage you, break out of that immunity and get a really serious infection of the Bible. Get a really serious infection of your faith. Let it affect everything you do. And within that framework, biblical illiteracy that we have is so high, it's caused us not even to understand some of the great institutions in the Bible. Now, if you go back to the institutions in the Bible, you remember that starting in the book of Genesis, Genesis 1, 2, 3, God ordains the family. We've got Adam, we've got Eve, they have kids. God said, this is good. That's what we call the institution of the family. If you recall, in Genesis 9, this is where we get civil government. Noah gets off the ship, and God says, okay, everybody was killing each other and raping each other, and everything was goofy, but now that we're starting again, he gave him what are called the Noahide laws. There were seven civil laws. Here's what you do to murderers. Here's what you do to thieves. So that's the first record of civil government in the Bible is the Noahide laws with Noah in Genesis 9. And then as you get over into Exodus, we have what we would call the church. It's the temple. Here's how God wants corporate worship to be conducted. So we start the tabernacle, and here's what he wants with the priest. And, and so that would be the type and shadow of the church. So of these three institutions, it's interesting that the one that Christians seem to know the least about is government. Now, it shouldn't be that way, because if you go back to the American founding, you take somebody like John Locke, he wrote the two treatises of government. This is a book that came out in 1690. Uh, he's considered a theologian and a philosopher, and in that book, he cites, he references over 1,500 verses to show how civil government is supposed to operate. 1,500 verses? Most of us couldn't come up with maybe 20 or 30? 1,500. So the founding fathers, actually, Richard Henry Lee, who made the motion about the Declaration of Independence, he said, we, quote, copied the Declaration of Independence from Locke's two treatises of government. That book was a huge influence. But this is how we thought about civil government because there's so many verses on it. So when you look at that, we have a friend in Georgia. Our friend in Georgia said, and he's a pastor, and he said, you know, I've really only been a two-thirds Christian. I've been really engaged in family and in church, but I really haven't been engaged in the civil government arena. And so he says, I've been a two-thirds Christian. And he hadn't been involved in the government arena, but he really got convicted over that and got engaged, and, and so he really has become a three-thirds Christian. He's now a full Christian, and the impact that he has made in a four-county region in Georgia is pretty unbelievable, and it's just because he said, I need to get engaged. He hadn't done anything spectacular. He's just gotten engaged and gotten people engaged, and has turned that whole part of Georgia around. So knowing the institutions, being familiar with them is really important, and Benjamin Rush had a, a great explanation. The piece that I told you he wrote in 1790 on Father Public Schools on the Constitution, this is that piece. And in it, he says, guys, we've been 13 nations, now we're one nation. What do we have to teach in our public schools if we're going to stay a unified nation? He said, our public schools should teach three things. 
He said, the number one purpose of our public schools is to teach students to love and serve God. He said, the number two purpose of public schools is to teach students to love and serve their country. He said, the number three purpose of public schools is to teach students to love and serve their family. Most Christians I know would say, no, you got that a little out of order. Family should come higher than country because family is so important. It is important. But Benjamin Rush said, no, you're wrong. It should be God, country, family, because he pointed out, he said, if you ever lose control of your country, it will become the great enemy of your family. And that's what we've seen. So many of the attacks on the family, we can keep our family all together, and the culture is killing us. I mean, we're seeing all the stuff that's going on in school. We thought schools were okay. Now we find that that's the source of all the cesspool that's been happening. You've got gender transition. Wait a minute, what's this escape button you've given my kids on the computer so I can't see? It's just crazy stuff going on, which is why we've seen people looking at school boards so much in recent years. And so, recent years, two and a half years has been going on now. And they're getting elected to school board. And that's another significant thing about elections because if you want to be a voter in America, the Constitution requires two things. You have to be 18 years old and you have to be a legal citizen. If you can do that, 100% of people who are 18 years old who are legal citizens can vote. There's a statutory requirement. We need you to register to vote. That way you won't vote seven times and somebody won't vote seven times for you. This is where it falls down. Only 65.3% of eligible adults are registered to vote. So there's 100 million American adults who refuse to get involved in anything with elections. We're not going to choose our leaders. We're not going to choose our school board members. We're staying out of that process. And that includes 40 million evangelicals. Okay, folks, hang on for one second. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You are listening to Wobbleders Live. Hey guys, we want to let you know about a new resource we have at Wall Builders called The American Story. For so many years, people have asked us to do a history book to help tell more of the story that's just not known or not told today. And we would say very providentially in the midst of all of the new attacks coming out against America, whether it be from things like the 1619 Project that say America is evil and everything in America was built off slavery, which is certainly not true, or things like even the Black Lives Matter movement, the organization itself, not not the statement Black Lives Matter, but the organization that says we're against everything that America was built on and this is part of the Marxist ideology. There's so many things attacking America. Well, is America worth defending? What is a true story of America? We actually have written and told that story. Starting with Christopher Columbus, going roughly through Abraham Lincoln, we tell the story of America not as the story of a perfect nation or a perfect people, but the story of how God used these imperfect people and did great things through this nation. It's a story you want to check out. Wallbuilders.com, The American Story. We're back here on Wobblers Live. Thanks for staying with us. Here is the conclusion of David Martin speaking at the American Restoration Tour. Do you know how different America would look if 40 million evangelicals carried their faith into that arena and said, hey, we're just going to vote biblical values. This is really simple stuff. It's not a complicated process. So there are two types of elections in America. Uh, the first type of election where we have the highest turnout is a presidential election. And for the last 11 presidential elections, the average turnout is 54% turnout, but that's 54% of registered voters. That's 54% of 65.3%, which means that 36% of adults vote in a presidential election. It takes half of that to win, which is 18%. And the last 21 off-year elections, and this is when we choose our governors and our congressmen and our senators and our legislators, 
in the last 21 off-year's elections, the average voter turnout has been 38%, but that's 38% of registered, which is 38% of 65%, which means 26% of adults choose our governors and our senators and our congressmen, and it takes half of that to win. So what we're looking at is in the last 11 presidential elections, one out of five Americans has chosen the president of the United States, and one out of eight Americans has chosen our governors, senators, legislators, et cetera. And then when you get to the local level, it falls to 6%. Now, that's 6% of 65%, which means 4% of adults vote in local elections. It takes half of that to win. I'll give you an example. If you go to Los Angeles, Los Angeles, crazy city out there. Eric Garcetti, man, did he dislike churches. Everybody else can stay open in COVID, but churches definitely can't. And he has targeted churches in so many ways. But Eric Garcetti, mayor of Los Angeles, and by the way, Los Angeles is the second largest city in the United States, larger than population in 20 separate states. So if you're Eric Garcetti, the mayor of Los Angeles, you're like a a governor in 23 states. Eric Garcetti brags about the fact that he was elected mayor of Los Angeles with 2.9% of the vote. I know enough churches in Los Angeles, they could turn that if they wanted to. Now we don't get involved in that stuff. Same thing happened in Houston. In Houston, the 20th, the fourth largest city in the nation, larger than 20 separate states, elected Anise Parker, first openly lesbian mayor in Houston's history. And when she got in, she said, anybody who says marriage between a man and a woman, that is now crime, because she got a law passed on it for the city, and they went after all sorts of pastors, particularly five of them. We call them the Houston Five. She subpoenaed 17 different forms of communication. She said, I want all your sermons, all your sermon notes. I want all your text messages. I want all your social media. I want to see all the voice messages on your phone. I want to see everything on your computer. And if you've said marriage between a man and a woman, I've got you, and you've had it. Well, she was elected with a total of 3.3% of the vote. We got that reversed. We had a 14% voter turnout the next time, and that policy is long gone. We got 5,000 churches in Houston engaged and absolutely crushed her. But see, it's because we got engaged. It's not that the other side is that much more powerful. It's got engaged. Then you heard what Chad said in, in, in Virginia. Um, faith wins. We get involved there, and 312 churches get involved. And so register 7,000 people, and Yonkin wins by 65,000. In those 312 churches, 2 Timothy 2.5 says you can't be crowned unless you run according to the rules. What are the rules of elections? Don't know. 1,343 out of the churches volunteered to find out. They were trained as, as poll watchers, election officials. They found 5.2% of the vote is fraudulent just because we put eyes on it out of the churches. You take 5.2% fraudulent vote out, that'll win an election for you. See, there's so many things going on. I want to give you, in the last part here, just some local good news. Uh, let me take you to Minnesota. Minnesota, pretty crazy state, except Christians got involved there and won all sorts of school boards. Now, notice... The headline does not say anything about Christians. It says, candidates opposing critical race theory and COVID-19 mandates. Why does it say that? Because the media hates Christians, but they love CRT and they love COVID mandates. And they think there's nothing worse than to say that you're anti-CRT and anti-COVID. So you're going to see that through these headlines. Whenever Christians win, this is the way they describe them. And so Minnesota, we picked up all sorts of school boards in Minnesota with Christians getting involved, running. It'll change things in that state. It'll start changing things. I love this one out of New Jersey. New Jersey, 19-year-old who saw a senior year disrupted by COVID shutdowns, unseats the incumbent in school board race. So the 19-year-old senior said, you cost me my senior year. I'm running against you. He beat the incumbent by 17 points in that race. And by the way, it is really nice to finally have an adult on the school board in New Jersey. So finally get that happen. This one, notice Denver. 
And notice Colorado Springs, we got 1,500 churches engaged in Colorado, picked up 78 school board districts. We have Denver, that's wacky crazy left. Yeah, now Christians are on the school board in Denver. There are all four school boards in Colorado Springs. It's changing all across the country. Wichita, Kansas, second most liberal city in Kansas, Kansas City, then Wichita. School boards, Christians got three out of four there. Uh, Treasure Valley, which is Boise area, most liberal city in in Idaho, got the school board there. And then this one in Dallas, anti-CRT. See, notice anti-CRT. I know the story. 51 churches got together in Dallas and said, we've got to do better than this. The 51 churches worked together, said, who among us are good, qualified people for school? And there were 15 school board seats, and they won all 15 school board seats with those 51 churches getting together. Again, Dallas is a really big city, and now Christians have the school board. You have the same thing in Houston. Houston, 2.3 million people there. We got churches involved in Houston. They won the school boards in Houston. And the, I mean, the big school board in Houston, Houston City School Board, 5,000 votes was what we needed to win school board races. 2.3 million, yeah, when only 2% turn out, it, it's not hard to, to win those races. This is Fort Worth. This happened two months ago. Mercy Church in Fort Worth said, we've got to take control of Fort Worth. Fort Worth has just lost its brain. There were 21 school board seats in Fort Worth, and they got 20 out of the 21 just from that church being involved. So this is happening across the country. Uh, about three weeks ago, uh, Moms for Liberty got 25 out of 30 school board seats in Miami-Dade County, which is really a crazy part of the nation. Uh, they got dozens of other school boards across the state. So it's happening all over the nation. This is not what we're hearing in the news, and I have to find these headlines, and I look for them because I know what's going on in those areas. And it, things are turning. Things are changing. So we need to become three-thirds Christians. And back to where I started Let me encourage you, read the Bible every day. Get into it. It is the most practical book you will ever deal with. And in the same way, memorize a verse every week. This is not like second graders. I'm not asking you to memorize the Gospel of John, although that would be a great idea. Everybody should memorize the Gospel of John. Just do a Bible verse a week. You get 52 a year that way. It'll make such a difference in your life and thinking. And if this stuff has been new to you and, and you haven't heard this kind of history before, I encourage you outside, we've got a table, and on it we have a book called The American Story, and The American Story goes, goes through a lot of what we covered. And there's also the Founder's Bible, which shows you the Bible verses which the founders used to build certain policies and institutions, et cetera. So there's a lot of good knowledge back there. All right, folks, that was David Barton, live presentation on the American Restoration Tour. If you'd like to find out more, Faith Wins website is at a link at our website today at wobbleduslive.com, and you can get this entire three-part series in the archive section there at wobblerslive.com. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to Wobblers Live. We stand undivided.